You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, this is Jay Harwoods with the Mets Amazing Alumni Podcast, and I'm here with my special, special guest, Joe Torrey, who was my first manager back in 1980. Joe, I was a 34-year-old kid coming out of Fairleigh Dickinson, petrified of going to the big leagues. I got lost on my first day going to Shea Stadium, right up at Brooklyn, but you made me really comfortable, Joe, and I'll be forever indebted to you for how you got me indoctrinated into the big leagues. And you, my first road trip to Montreal, you took me on a, on a scouting trip. You took me to a tie store. I bought seven of the fat ties. I didn't think they matched any of my outfits, but the manager of the Mets bought me some ties, and I wore them about the next five, ten years. Do you remember that trip, Joe? I do remember it. I do remember it. And in spite of my being nice to you, Jay, you still managed to get me fired over there. That's that's what I just can't figure out. I never had that kind of power, Joe, but but seriously, I remember the good times in the beginning, uh, you know, the the times you used to take me to parties after the games to, uh, you know, to meet people. And you used to have these confabs in your office, all the... Big people would come in. He always introduced me. I always feel welcome. Uh, those were pretty good times back then. Well, as far as I was concerned, Jay, you were family, and you know, trust is a big part in our game, actually in life. But uh, you, you've always been that person that uh, always picked up the phone, and uh, you know, if there was anything you could do, you'd bend over backwards to to try to accommodate. Uh, and plus, plus the fact, aside from all those things. You were pretty darn good at what you did. Well, I appreciate it. Joe, you know, one thing, I I don't want to be a little bit negative with you through the years, but a couple of years ago I got a call from a friend of mine, Jack Curry, and he said, I saw you a commercial on TV with Bigelow T. And Joe, where are the checks, man? I see it on TV. I, I need some checks coming from you. Yeah, well, you just have to give me your address. I'll send you some tea. Would you like decaf or regular? Would that be better? Whatever you Hello? and Phil Sims drink, I would drink. Dude, you're two of my idols, and that, that would be fine by me. But it had this ugly brown suit in, your, in the background. I don't know how the hell I ever got there, but I was there with Joe Torrey's Big Little Tea commercial, <laughs> my first national commercial. Well, I'm going to shoot another one, so uh, let me know your schedule so we can okay. Okay. arrange it. That would be great. Joe, spring of 1969, uh, were you aware of the rumors, you know, how close you were being traded to the Mets that spring? I sure was. In fact, uh, I remember, um, you know, of course, all the rumors, and uh, and I remember, you know, Gil Hodges, uh, when, when did he have his heart attack, uh, Jay? Do you remember? Se- 72, uh, before the 72 season. Yeah, after I, you know, obviously was, was traded. I mean, yeah, traded. And I had gone up to the hospital to see uh, to see Gil. And, you know, I was bemoaning the fact, although uh, things didn't work out too badly for the Mets. Uh, Don Clendenin came on board and, you know, became a very uh, a big force in that 69 drive. But, uh, yes, I, I knew uh, of all the rumors. Uh, I had a feeling at the time that my general manager, uh, Paul Richards, uh, wasn't going to accommodate what I thought were my needs, uh, you know, going to my hometown. And in retrospect, Jay, I, I believe it was the best thing. Uh, obviously, it worked out great for the Mets. 
but it was the best thing for me. I went to St. Louis, and uh, I, uh, you know, I grew up. I think I matured quite a bit in my time with St. Louis, and uh, I think that was probably best for me, even though I didn't know it at the time. That's because you got traded for Orlando Cepeda. But you did, you did play a big part, Joe, in the 69 championship season. The last day in September, you actually hit into a 6-4-3 double play to give the Mets their division title at Chase Stadium. Do you remember that night? Yeah, do you remember the pitcher? I remember the pitcher. Do you remember the pitcher? Was it Gary Gentry? Yeah, you're good. That was Gary Gentry. Uh, my my 6-4-3 double play, and I, I, I had so many 6-4-3 double plays, in fact, uh, the 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 one year uh, one year I in fact it's still a record four double plays in one game yeah. and uh, I always thought about putting a uh, a replica of a shortstop in my uh, in my playroom or in my uh, recreation room at home just to feel comfortable because I I think I played pepper with the shortstop more than any other player I I read you you blame those four double plays on Felix Mian because. He singled in front of your at bats, and he was the one who got on base and made it possibly for him to those double plays. Yeah, I never did forgive him for that <laughs> because I, uh, I like to tell people he hit one high off the wall uh, before my fourth double play, and he stopped it first because he knew I had a chance at the record. Felix uh, was a pretty good guy, you, you know. He was a real good guy, and you know we we came uh, we were together over at the Braves also, and. Um, he was a special, uh, and actually, I I saw him, I saw Felix this spring, in, uh, down in spring training, going to a Mets game. So. Uh, but Joe, eventually you made your way over to, to the Mets in uh, after the 74 season. You know, how was it for a kid from Brooklyn, St. Francis Prep, to come back to your hometown? How were the ticket requests in those days? You know what? It You know, we weren't very good, unfortunately. And, of course, my first bit of duty when I was name manager, actually, it's, it's coming up on the anniversary because uh, May 31st was the first game I managed for the Mets back in 77. Um, and the first bit of business we had to do was trade Tom Seaver. And, of course, Dave Kingman went that same, uh, that same night. Uh, that was... Uh, that was quite a purge uh, with the Mets, but coming back to New York, you know, was you know it, it was it was bittersweet. You know, it was nice coming back to New York, but I, I just felt that I left uh, a lot on the table with St. Louis, where I, you know, I, I didn't perform the last couple of years as well as I thought I could, and uh, I, I felt like I let people down. But uh, it was, it was. I mean, obviously, New York made my career. I came back here, uh, and then, you know, became manager uh, of the Mets uh, in '77. And you know, right there, it it uh, it just took off. It was a little bit of a sputter in the middle. You know, after getting fired from the Mets in '80 after the '81 season. I went to Atlanta. We won a division down there. I was there three years, and uh, Ted Turner let me go there. And then I went out west and broadcast for the Angels for six years. And then the Cardinals, I uh, managed there for five years. But that six-year hiatus uh, was, uh, you know, I I thought that uh, the managing part was over because that was a long time to be off the field. But I was fortunate enough to 
get back in with the Cardinals and then, of course, uh, you know, the Yankees and then the last few years with the Dodgers. I, I, I've been very lucky, Jay. Uh, you know, baseball has been my life. Uh, played it as a kid. Uh, my brother Frank played in the big leagues. We've been a baseball family. And to have uh, baseball been a part of my, my, totally a part of my career, uh, for that many years is, uh, as I said, I feel blessed. Joe, get, get back to, um, you know, when you, you played with the Cardinals and the Mets, you played behind two of the uh, all-time great pitchers, you know, Tom Seaver and Bob Gibson. How, how would you compare their similarities, your differences, you know, for Gibson and for, for Tom? I'll tell you what, I, I, I remember their, their head-to-head battles, and Gibson would always better Tom because, and this again, Tom was young, even though he was far uh, advanced for his age. Uh, you know, when he would pitch against Gibson, it just seemed like he tried to throw the ball through a wall because he was just pumped up. And Bob Gibson was just pitched against the Mets, you know, and I, I think he, you know, had, a, had more success. Uh, but Tom Seaver was remarkable. Uh, you know, he would. As as a hitter against him, uh, you know, I, he'd have a pitch that he'd throw on the outside corner that looked like it was going to be a ball, and all of a sudden it would go by, and you'd say strike, you know, to yourself because it it just never moved. He had such great command of of his stuff. Uh, I had a couple of hits off him. I beat him a game. I remember one time with a cheap home run in Atlanta, but uh, he he was. You know, he was quite a competitor, and the one thing I think I can brag about that no other manager can manager can brag about, Jay, and you may not know this, I, I think I'm the only manager he never lost for. I think he was two and zero before <laughs> we we traded him to uh, to Cincinnati back in '77. So you talk about the uh, June of '77 was a crazy time. Did you have any idea that they would name you the player manager? Uh, you know what I. Uh, we played an exhibition game at Tidewater. And I remember I wasn't in the game, and I was in there shaving in, in the clubhouse during the game. And, and you know, obviously that's not acceptable behavior, except that you know those games. You, you pack up and leave real quick after the game, and I knew I wanted to get it over with. And uh, Joe McDonald the general manager walked in while I was shaving, and I thought he was going to yell at me for shaving. And he said, uh, do you want to manage this team? And I said, whoa, you know. And and uh, I said, sure. And he said, um, and this I'm not sure too many people know, you know. So he said, well, the next day was an off day. We were going into Philadelphia. And um, actually, we were playing on the off day, but... What I had to do was go into New York uh, and meet with M. Donald Grant, who was the chairman of the board. So what had happened uh, that night, I drove to New York when we got into Philly and met with, uh, you know, met with Grant uh, the next morning. And then it, I became manager a few days later. It wasn't uh, that particular day, but he made his mind up that I was going to replace Joe Frazier. And the the sensitive part for me 
was finding out when I got back to Philly that Joe Frazier had had a curfew check. And I wasn't there, and he called me in the office the next day before the game on Friday, and he asked me about not being there. I said I had to go to New York. I, I wouldn't lie to him. I said I had to go to New York. And if he ever asked me why, I don't know what I would have done, but he never did. I just said I, I just needed to go to New York. And, um, and That's then, crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. It was very uncomfortable. Me. You know, Joe, we're, st we're starting these alumni weekends, and Joe Youngblood was here the other day, and he feels badly because he takes credit for ending your career, uh, a playing career, because when we got him, I guess you made the decision to take yourself off the roster and put him on. Yeah, that that was pretty much the deal. You know, they, they allowed me to be player-manager uh, because we knew we were trading Seaver, and it was just a matter of how many players we were getting and how many roster spots there were. So they they allowed me to stay on the roster uh, until that was settled. And you know we made the the trade for you know for Henderson and uh, Norman and Doug Flynn and Zachary and all those people back in '77. And Youngblood was the last one to show up. So when he joined the club that was you know the spot that he was taken was mine and I knew it was going to happen the day before so I pinched hit myself and hit a fly ball to right field and you know that was the end of my career but I knew all along that I wasn't going to have to remain on the on the roster. Joe, just a couple of quick things 1881 you know the records weren't great but it wasn't all that terrible I did some research in 80 in 80 the Mets were like 50 and 40 for three months during the year, and then there was a five-game homestead uh, home against the Phillies. We lost all five games. And in, in, in 81, the uh, you know the latter part of that, you were like just a couple of games below 500. So it wasn't all that awful, even though you did get released. Yeah. You know, it, I always felt we, comp we were competitive. Probably the proudest, Jay, and I'm not sure which year it was, but we had 99 losses, I think, and I think we won the last seven or eight games or, or five or six or whatever it was. It was a good number of games to, to keep from losing 100 games. Uh, that, that, that was pretty cool because, I mean, it's never great to lose 99 games, but uh, we were able to keep away the spirit of the 100 uh, by winning. You know, we had a little winning streak right at the end. Joe, just a couple last couple of things. You know, last decade you've been working for the commissioner's office, uh, doing some, you know, doing win rules and other things. But you know, other things in in all seven or all two it was. You started the Joe Torrey Foundation. How, how tough was that for you to come become public and and, and talk about how, how your mom was abused and you know how tough was it for you to come forward with you and your wife Allie to say those things publicly. Well, you know, one thing, Jay, I, I thought I was born with, uh, you know, this um, nervousness and and really didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. Even during my playing career, I thought I had to get hits just to to feel worthy. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I had enjoyed my playing career as much as I should have. Uh, but I really didn't find out... Um, what was causing, you know, that I wasn't born with those feelings. 
when I went to a seminar back in, in 1995, my wife was pregnant with our daughter, Andrea, and she wanted to go to this uh, self-help seminar. And I said, sure, I'll go with you. I wasn't going to say no to her. She was eight months pregnant. So we went over there. It was a four-day affair, and one speaker started talking about whatever it was he was talking about and start connecting the dots for me. And and at that point in time, I was able to understand that what my dad was, the fear and, and nervousness was created by what my dad brought to the house. He was a New York City detective and he, you know, had threatened my mom with a gun, and I, I had never seen him hit her, but I saw the results of it, and I, I've heard the throwing stuff against the wall. And so when I found out that what was going on in my childhood in that my home uh, caused this, you know, like going into a shell, because I didn't even go out for my high school baseball team as a freshman. I didn't think I was good enough. And and when I found out that it was caused by my, what my dad was doing, it sort of relieved me that I, I it wasn't something I was born with. It wasn't, uh, you know, something I should have been ashamed of. Uh, even though what was going on in my house, I I was certainly ashamed of. I didn't think anybody else experienced that. But once I, I realized that... Uh, you know, it was the fear that my dad brought on the house. I, I really wanted to talk about it because I, I it sort of freed me up to talk about it. And I know my wife, Allie, was very surprised when I said, you know, let's do something for domestic violence because we always did something toward uh, dealing with children uh, in all the other cities. It's charity-wise. And and we're very proud of our Safe at Home Foundation because we, we've had 80. We put safe rooms in schools of master's level counselor. We named them after my mom, Margaret's Place. And we've had better than 85,000 kids come through our program. We know it works. Huh. It's uh, you do great work, Joe. It's uh, Yeah, we're proud of it, Jay. And, and thanks for so much for asking about yeah. it. Yeah. Joe, just before I let you go, you know, you. All the stuff you've accomplished in your career, Hall of Fame, World Championships, you've always been a friend to me through the four, last four decades. And anytime I needed something, you always picked up the phone. And you're a good guy and a great baseball person. And I'm proud to say you're my friend. Well, Jay, I feel the same way. And, and it's it's one of those friendships where you don't have to pick up the phone every day and call somebody. Uh, you know, I have very few of those friendships. Uh, I can name a couple, Tim McCarver and Bob Gibson and you know, where you don't have to talk on a regular basis, but when you pick up the phone, your friend is there. And uh, I feel the same about you, Jay, and uh, I, I really treasure our relationship. And, uh, again, I look forward to seeing you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for the time, Joe. I appreciate it. We'll see you soon. All right, kid. Bye, bye, bye. Take bye. care. Bye, bye, bye. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.